This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Approach to Fever by Dr. Eli Fryman. By the end of this video, the learner will be able to summarize the clinical basics of fever, describe the physiology of body temperature regulation and the pathogenesis of fever, and discuss the approach to evaluation and management of a fever in a child. Introduction Body temperature is generally measured in four different ways, oral, rectal, axillary, and infrared. Rectal measurement is considered to be the reference standard for measuring body temperature but is contraindicated in neutropenic patients and is generally avoided in older patients due to patient discomfort. Oral temperatures run about 0.6 degrees Celsius lower and are heavily influenced by recently ingested liquids and respiratory rate. Infrared measurements utilize technology to measure heat produced by either the tympanic membrane or temporal artery and are widely used in the hospital and emergency department setting. However, data are not conclusive about diagnostic utility. Axillary measurements are considered to be the least reliable and often run lower than rectal temperatures. The mean normal temperature for adults is 37 degrees Celsius, while children and infants have a higher average temperature. Fever is defined differently in different age groups, in part because of the epidemiology of invasive bacterial infections. In children under three months old, we have a lower temperature threshold to trigger an infectious workup. Some institutions choose to call a fever 38 degrees Celsius. For older children, the temperature that might trigger an infectious workup may be higher, like 38.5 or 39 degrees. Remember, however, that fever should only be a piece of the larger clinical evaluation when deciding how deeply to investigate a certain patient presentation, and lower temperatures should not preclude investigation of an ill-appearing patient. Patients with specific underlying conditions that increase the risk of infection, such as sickle cell disease, neutropenia, or HIV, should be investigated thoroughly with any concerning elevation in temperature. Physiology Fever is an elevation in body temperature mediated by hypothalamic pathways in the central nervous system. The hypothalamic thermoregulatory center controls body temperature through three mechanisms. 1. Controlling heat production mainly in the muscles and liver. 2. Controlling heat dissipation from the skin and lungs. And 3. Setting the normal body temperature. Fever is a physiologic process where the hypothalamus sets a higher body temperature set point in response to endogenous signaling. The body then rebalances heat production and dissipation to elevate the body temperature to the new set point. This is why patients with new fevers often feel cold and experience rigors. Their current body temperature, although elevated above true normal, lies below the newly elevated hypothalamic set point and leads to the subjective feeling of cold. Pathogenesis Peripheral phagocytes release various cytokines in response to encountered foreign antigens or injury, including IL-1, IL-6, TNF-alpha, and interferon. These cytokines then act on the anterior hypothalamus, resulting in the upregulation of prostaglandins, especially PGE2, which results in an increase in the hypothalamic set point for body temperature. With a new, higher set point, the body increases heat generation through processes such as increased metabolic rate, increasing muscle tone or contraction, and decreasing epidermal heat loss by modulating skin perfusion. 
Combined, these result in higher body temperature to meet the newly increased hypothalamic set point and result in clinical fever. Initial fever evaluation. Initial evaluation of all fevers starts with a thorough history and physical exam with an emphasis on the adequacy of cardiopulmonary physiology. Thorough histories and physical exams can, with the exception of neonates, often pinpoint the likely source of fever. Signs of other underlying diseases should be evaluated. Remember that response to antipyretic therapy does not differentiate between viral or bacterial etiologies. In the pediatric history, important pieces of information to elicit are, but are not limited to, headache and photophobia, ear tugging or pain, sore throat, neck pain, swelling or decreased range of motion, cough and shortness of breath, costovertebral angle tenderness or dysuria, focal abdominal pain, vomiting or diarrhea, rash, or focal limb or joint pain or swelling. On exam, be mindful to assess for evidence of altered perfusion by evaluating for abnormal vital signs, altered mental status, mottled skin, or delayed capillary refill. Patients who are ill-appearing or have unstable vital signs should have a broad infectious workup, empiric antibiotics, and be admitted to higher levels of care. Infants younger than 90 days are at significant risk for serious bacterial infections, or SBI, for example, urinary tract infection, bacteremia, or meningitis, or even disseminated herpes simplex virus, or HSV infection, without overt symptoms. There are specific protocols governing the evaluation of febrile infants 90 days of age and younger. Protocols vary by institution but generally involve blood, urine, and cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF tests via lumbar puncture with bacterial cultures. The youngest infants are also commonly evaluated for invasive HSV infection, specifically HSV meningitis, by sending HSV PCR from the CSF. Decision whether to test for HSV meningitis often depends on age, specific risk factors, and whether there is a CSF pleocytosis. The goal of such evaluations is to identify infants at risk for SBI and HSV for hospitalization and empiric antimicrobials. However, common viral illnesses such as respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, or enterovirus remain the most common cause of fever in infants under 90 days of age. Unlike infants less than 3 months old, children ages 3 to 36 months old are epidemiologically at lower risk for serious bacterial illness and are more able to communicate their symptoms. Children in this age group who, after a thorough history and physical exam, are well-appearing but do not have a clear source of fever are often identified as having fever without a source, or FWS. The majority of patients with FWS have self-limited viral infections or quickly develop a recognizable source of bacterial infection. Fever without a source is different than fever of unknown origin, or FUO, which is when a fever has been present for eight or more days. FUO will not be discussed here. Types of serious bacterial illness in this age group include meningitis, periorbital or orbital cellulitis, septic arthritis, osteomyelitis, UTI, pneumonia, and skin infections. Initial evaluation of well-appearing children between 3 to 36 months old with FWS includes urine testing for higher-risk patients, such as girls less than 24 months, uncircumcised boys less than 12 months, and circumcised boys less than 6 months. Routine laboratory evaluation and empiric therapy for patients outside of the high-risk age groups is not recommended. It is very important that immunization status is included in the history for these patients. Patients with FWS who have not been completely immunized should routinely receive screening blood and urine infectious studies. Many guidelines recommend empiric antibiotics in incompletely immunized patients with leukocytosis. Management of fever as we previously discussed, the first step in treating fever is determining the cause, as the underlying etiology will guide management. 
Treatment for all of the potential causes of fever will not be covered in this video. Instead, we will focus on symptomatic management of fever. In otherwise healthy children with minimal symptoms, treatment of fever with antipyretics is not required. Despite multiple studies, there is no conclusive evidence that treating fever, as opposed to the underlying condition, reduces morbidity or mortality, except in cases where reducing metabolic demand is important. The decision to treat fever should be made on a case-by-case -case basis. The benefits of antipyretic therapy include improvement in the child's discomfort, a decrease in insensible losses to prevent dehydration and analgesia. Potential downsides include delayed identification of the underlying etiology, drug toxicity, and allergy. The most commonly used oral antipyretics are acetaminophen and ibuprofen. Antipyretics work in part by blocking prostaglandin synthesis and restoring the hypothalamic thermoregulatory set point to normal. Remember not to use aspirin in children due to the risk of Ray syndrome, except under very specific circumstances. Sometimes, providers will choose to not use antipyretics in order to monitor the trajectory and amplitude of the patient's fever curve. Thank you for watching this video on Approach to Fever. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.